Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in. What we're going to be talking about today, I think, is so essential and so foundational to your Christian walk, and that is your position in Christ. We're going to be doing a studies through Ephesians just to really talk about who you are in Jesus Christ. So first, we're just going to read through Ephesians from chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So in my experience, people cannot truly understand the gospel message, which is the coming of the kingdom of God, unless you understand your identity in Jesus Christ. So who you were and who you now are. So in Matthew 4.17, Jesus begins his preaching ministry by calling people to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. All of us who are Christians have repented from our sins and continue to confess our sins to God. I've heard so many Christians identify as just sinners saved by grace. And is that who we are? Are we just sinners saved by grace? Let's really look and see how Paul addresses Christians in Ephesians 1. So Paul says to the church of Ephesus, to God's holy people in Ephesus, or to the saints of the church of Ephesus. Now, if you're anything like me, when you hear the word saint or holy, you don't naturally think of yourself. I think of great Christian men and women in the past who gave their lives for Jesus. But this is where we're wrong, and this is where we are having an issue. We are holy, and we are saints through our relationship with Jesus. I believe this letter Paul sent thousands of years ago is so relevant today, not just because it talks about who we are in Christ, but it addresses the reasons that are keeping us from really understanding who we are. So when we don't realize who we are in Christ, we're never going to be able to live out our faith the way we are intended to. This has drastic implications on our Christian walk. So this series is going to take us through Ephesians and who we are in Christ. And then we're going to focus on how to live out our faith and our new identity. So why is this issue of identity so important? Why are we talking about this today? So in our world, we all find our identity through things, through people, through things we do, our sexuality. In fact, today, one of the hottest topics in the Western world is identity. People are identifying as this, as that. It's all about figuring out the question, who am I? What's my place in this world? What am I meant to do? One of my favorite stories of all time 
is Lord of the Rings. And I'm not going to explain the whole story here. Yeah, you have to go watch that movie. But one of the main characters in the movie is Aragorn. And when the movie starts out, you don't really know much about him. He's mysterious. He's really good at fighting. People refer to him as Strider or Ranger. You really don't know much about him or where he fits into the story. But as the movie goes on, you discover that this rough-looking ranger is in fact the heir to the throne of the most powerful kingdom. He has ran from that identity for most of his life being a ranger, fighting with different groups, but eventually his true identity is revealed. And it's amazing. And near the end of the movie, at the last movie, um, Return of the King, you have his coronation. So Aragorn is crowned a king. He's finally the king of Gondor. And he looks kingly and all of his friends are looking at him as if they're seeing him for the first time because he looks so drastically different. So this, in his his character arc at least, is a story of identity found and accepted. But this story, as amazing as it is, is nothing compared to ours. We too are running from our identity, who we truly are. And we're heirs to a kingdom which is infinitely greater than anything in Lord of the Rings. So when you start living in your true identity, it's life-changing and world-altering. Now, why is Paul writing to this church about identity 2,000 years ago? So when you look at the context in the city he's writing to, you'll see many similarities to our society today. So Ephesus is almost an entirely Gentile city, which means that it's non-Jewish. So the city was focused on the worship of the god Diana and had a gigantic temple that was dedicated to her. And it was actually considered one of the wonders of the world at that time. That's how amazing this temple was. So Diana was a god they worshipped who they connected to the moon and she had effects on fertility. So she was a far removed god. So you could worship her and hope she would turn her favor on you, but you would never consider yourself having a personal relationship with Diana or being close to her. You see, even the people of that day who worshipped other gods recognized that there was a separation between the gods and us lowly humans. They knew that we could never be close enough to gods, to the gods due to that separation between us and them. So we tried to appease them through sacrifices, through sex sacrifices, living a certain way. They just knew that as lowly humans, we are not worthy of the gods, and so we have to work to get their favor. Now, from what I've seen, many of us Christians live this exact same way. We know there's a separation between us and God. We know our sins needed to be forgiven before we could enter into our relationship with God. And many of us practically live as if our sin could still cut us off from God at any moment. So we try to do things to get God's favor. We try to live a certain way. We try to do certain things to make him love us more. So Paul wrote this letter to reinforce the fact that our God is personal. And when we become followers of Jesus, that separation between us is gone because of our new identity. So the center of this whole passage is our new identity, which is being adopted into God's family. He views us as saints. So all of the blessings that are on his own son, Jesus, are now on us. He looks at us the same way he looks at his son. Now, when we fully don't, when we fully understand this truth, it's going to change us, give us courage, and will enable us to live in our Christian faith the way we're intended to. So, this morning, I want to focus on key three key areas that are brought up in this passage, which will really hammer in your identity in Christ, which is redemption, forgiveness, and sealing, which is eternal security. So, the first area we're going to talk about is redemption. So, that's our adoption. 
So in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, it says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. In him we have redemption through his blood. So we all love redemption stories. And some of the greatest stories out there are based on stories of redemption, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, etc. But the greatest story of our uh, the greatest story of redemption is our own. So for us to be redeemed means we needed redeeming in the first place. So this is a hard thing to understand. And what I mean by redeemed is I mean to be brought back into good standing with a party, and that party is God. So Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, and even the non-Christians knew that there's something wrong with the human condition. There's something separating us from the gods. In our society today, we all realize there's something wrong with us as humans. There's mental health. Scientists today are even recognizing that dying from old age is not natural. They see that when we get older, our cells stop working in our body as we slowly start to age. And they want to, they're trying to investigate to see what's turning, what's causing this for the cells to stop working. We all realize Christians are not, that things are not the way they should be. This world is not the way they should be. There's mur- there's wars, there's murder, there's racism, there's genocide, there's hate. There's all sorts of terrible things that we think this shouldn't be here. As Christians, we know what is behind all of this, and that is sin. And sin is the thing separating this world from its maker. So we are broken because of sin, and we needed saving. Jesus needed to come and redeem us because we are completely unable of saving ourselves. In Ephesians 1, it says, we have redemption through his blood. So we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. He died on our behalf to pay for our sins. We have hope. The separation between us and God is no longer there. We are now free to pursue a relationship with God with no fear of condemnation from him. But the news is better than this. This redemption is available for everyone. In 1 John 2 verse 2, it says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So this is the good news. This is the gospel that God is bringing things back to him. The whole Bible message in a nutshell nutshell, is a story of God bringing a broken world and a broken people back to him. That the human condition, which we all know is broken, can begin to be healed. We can have a relationship with God. We can begin to be healed from all the hurts this world has given us. And at the end of it, when we face death, the enemy, which all of us fears, even that has no bearing on us, for we're going to enter a life way more full than this world ever could be, and we'll be in true relationship with God. So when we understand our redemption, we can begin to understand the hope we have and the good news we can bring to the rest of the world. This is available for everyone. The world needs to know that if they just accept Jesus as their Savior, they will be under his blood. Now, why did God do this? Why did he go through all this trouble to save someone like me? And it's because he wants us back in his family. He loves us more than we could possibly imagine. This is the hope we have. Now, there's another huge part to this we have to understand. For even though we have been redeemed in Christ, many of us still struggle with self-condemnation. Many of us feel bad, and even non-Christians, criticism of Christians is that we have, we're just walking around feeling bad all the time. We just feel guilty because of our faith. Many of us don't feel holy. We don't feel like, we don't feel like saints, and that's because we don't understand forgiveness from God's perspective. We only understand what forgiveness is from a human perspective. So we now know that Jesus was sent to redeem us, to bring us back to God through his atoning blood, But we know as Christians that we still struggle with sin. We feel like we should be better. And many of us wonder whether we are Christians. For how could a Christian sin as much as me? 
And our problem is we think of forgiveness in a human way, not in the way God does. So in Ephesians 1 verse 7, it says, In him we have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. So when we compare God's forgiveness to the way humans forgive each other, we miss how significant this is. So when I ask my wife to forgive me for something dumb I did, and she always forgives me, she forgives me for that specific act. And that's generally the way we do forgiveness as humans. Abby and even me don't know all of the things I will do in the future that she's able to forgive me for. So she's not able to forgive me for it yet. But God exists outside of time. He has seen our whole lives. He is the, the he has the whole book in his hands and he's able to read through it all at once and see the total completeness of our lives, all of our sin. And he forgives us when we come under Jesus for all of our sins. We are really only on one page. You can only look at the pages we've already read through. We don't know all the things we're going to do. But God does. He's seen all of it. He's seen all the secrets, all the things we thought no one else knew. And when we became Christians, we came under Jesus's blood. Jesus died for every single one of those sins. That's hard to accept. Because why do we feel so condemned when we fall short, when we sin? Because all of us still sin and all of us still feel bad. But this condemnation doesn't come from God. Because he's the only person who actually could have condemned you in the first place. But instead, he chose to forgive you when you accepted his son. And this is the ultimate freedom we could ever have. We're no longer condemned by sin. We are truly saints, not on our own account, but because Jesus died for us. When the early Christians received this truth, some were living as if they are now free to sin without consequence. And some of us can live that way too as Christians. But what this freedom means is that we don't have to, is that it means that we do not have to deal with our sin out of fear of hell. We can deal with it out of love for our Savior. So in this world, everyone ties their identity to their performance. And when we have a bad performance, we feel terrible because we failed in our own eyes. When we translate this mindset over to Christianity, we just have a bunch of Christians walking around feeling bad because they don't understand forgiveness and grace. They know in their head that we don't save ourselves, but the way they live is trying to save ourselves. We cannot. Only Christ can do that. And we cannot get any more of God's love because he's given it all already. We can't live the perfect life. Jesus did that. We can't read the Bible enough. We can't pray enough. When we live in according to any sort of performance, we are missing the point. And this doesn't mean that we shouldn't perform. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't read our Bible. It doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try to live a holy life because the Holy Spirit will convict you of that. But it means we can now do this purely out of love for God, not out of fear of hell. Because of God's forgiveness for us through his son, we can have peace. We can know who we are. We are brought back into the family of God and nothing can take us away from that which is the third thing Paul, Paul talks about in Ephesians 1, which is sealing or eternal security. So in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, it says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession, to the praise of his glory. So this is the key to understanding our identity in Christ. When we follow Jesus, we're redeemed. We're brought back into good standing with God. We're forgiven completely, past, present, and future sins. And we're guaranteed, we are sealed, that our inheritance, our salvation will never be taken away from us. Now, to understand why this is so important, we have to break this verse down. So the beginning says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Now, notice it doesn't say, when you believed and started acting like a good Christian and going to church, you were marked with a seal. Or when you dealt with all your life issues, you were marked with a seal. It says, when you believed in Jesus, you were marked with a seal. Now, what is the seal and how do we know we have it? Well, the next line tells us that the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. That is what it is. The Holy Spirit is our inheritance. It's our seal marking us as Christians. So when you become a Christian, a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit enters you. And this is what was recorded in Acts 2, when all the disciples were gathered in Jerusalem waiting for what Jesus had promised them. The Holy Spirit came into them and they were able to do these amazing acts and speak in the languages of many men. But how do we know we have the Spirit? Does that mean we have to speak in the tongues of many men? And some Christians would tell you that, but I don't believe that. So we are given different evidences for this in the Bible. The fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is an, is an example of that. And ultimately, when we have the Holy Spirit in us, when we have this deposit this of our inheritance, we will become more like Christ. We're going to become more patient. We're going to become more loving of people. We're going to become, become less judgmental. We'll become more like Jesus. And this isn't an overnight process. It can take a lifetime. In some years, you're going to have drought-like times. But are you surely and surely? Are you slowly but surely becoming more like the one you claim to follow? The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins. He opens our eyes to God's truth. He grants us spiritual gifts. He counsels us. He guides us. And it's what unifies us as Christians. All of us, when we have the Holy Spirit, are united in one family. So this guarantee... This sealing with the Holy Spirit is meant so that we can become more like Christ. And it's there to give us the greatest freedom. So when we have the Holy Spirit, it can never be taken away. It can't be quenched. It's ignored for a time, but it can't be kicked out. This allows us to remain completely grounded in our new identity as sons and daughters of the living God, redeemed, forgiven, and sealed by Him. The process of the Holy Spirit working in us, it can be a slow one. But if you're looking at your life and seeing no change between who you are now between who you are now and between and who you are who you were before you met Christ, then I'd say you really need to evaluate whether you're actually following Jesus because when you follow Jesus, your life will not remain the same. But this is something you need to look at. So what's the point of this? We talked about redemption, forgiveness, sealing, and how it relates to our identity in Christ. But why does this matter at all? The point of knowing your new identity and being grounded in it is that you will never be able to respond to God the way you are called to if you don't understand the depth of your forgiveness, how you're completely redeemed, and how you are sealed by the Spirit and nothing can take that away. So when you understand that, you won't stand before God feeling like a loser. You're not going to be angry at God for the hardships in life, and you won't be full of self-pity either. You'll be praising, thanking, and worshiping the Lord your God who saved you. You're going to be telling everyone about this freedom you have because you're following Jesus and making disciples and sharing the gospel with everyone. This freedom is so attractive, and this world so desperately needs freedom and something to believe in. So in Ephesians 1.17, it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. This is my prayer for you, that you know you're redeemed, that you're forgiven, and that you're sealed. Not so that you can just have more intellectual knowledge. That's not why I'm doing this. I don't want your heads to just be filled with more stuff. I want your lives to be changed so that you're going to be able to come before God knowing who you are in Him, so that you're going to be able to know God's heart better, and that you're going to be able to thank Him and live for Him the way we're supposed to. You're going to live more like Jesus. When you live in the freedom of your new identity, a child of God, a saint, you're finally going to get your mind off of yourself and onto God, to praising and worshiping Him as well. This identity is going to allow you to fulfill the mission God has given you. He's gonna, it's going to allow you to be sharing the gospel with others. It's going to be allowing you 
to tell people about this freedom you have. Because if you're walking around like you're still a prisoner to sin, why is anyone going to want something to do with that? People want freedom. People want to live for something that matters. And when we as Christians start living as if our faith matters, that's going to attract people. Let's pray before we end. I just hope this really touches you guys and that you're able to actually live in the identity that you have in Christ. So next week, what we're going to be talking about is who we were in sin, knowing who we are by knowing who you were. And we're going to be looking at our sinful nature in depth and how that relates to our new identity. Let's pray before you guys leave. I know you guys are probably driving or listening to this somewhere, but thanks for tuning in. Dear God, I ask that you just really help people understand these words, God, that they can live in this truth, that they're able to understand their identity through you, and that they're able to actually walk in this, Lord, and fulfill the mission you have given them. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord, for me to to share the good news over the internet. I ask, Lord, that people are able to really understand this, that they're able to walk in this, and that they're able to be free. Thank you, God, again, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for listening.